119. Psalm 119 is where we're going to be this morning. We are wrapping up our uh, series on Scripture, uh, just a three-week series looking at uh, what is the Bible. The week one, we, looked, we answered the question, what is Scripture? So we, uh, we looked at it as, uh, from the book of Second uh, Peter, and we saw that Scripture is God's revelation of himself to us. God is, this is God's word. Last week, we, we answered the question, why read Scripture? Why, why open this book at all? And we saw that as we, as we delight in seeing Jesus in Scripture, we are molded and shaped in the image of Jesus. So as we study Scripture, discuss Scripture, as we look into God's word, we begin to be shaped and molded in the image of Jesus. And so, uh, so this week, we are going to be answering the question, how do we approach Scripture? How do we how do we come to the Word of God? How do we handle this book? And so uh, we're going to be doing that in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the uh, longest chapter in the Bible. It is uh, just really long. You can see in your Bible, uh, it's two or three pages, depending on uh, the size of your Bible, maybe four pages, depending on the size of the print. Uh, and so we're not going to read the whole thing this morning, uh, but we're going to look in uh, Psalm 119 and, and go be, uh, begin to answer the question, how do we approach scripture. So let me pray for us, and we'll get into the text this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word is true, and that your word is is revelation to us, that you didn't have to give us your word. You didn't have to, to give us scripture and reveal yourself in the ways that you have, but God, thank you for telling us your character, your nature, showing us who you are and what you're doing in the world. God, I pray that as we, as we glimpse who you are in Scripture this morning, God, I pray that it would change us. I pray this morning we would be shaped and molded in the image of Jesus, that us as a church will collectively grow up into Christ's image, God, that we will leave here better because of our time in the Word this morning, God. God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us and hearts that are ready to apply it this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Jim Collins uh, authored Good to Great. He also authored uh, Built to Last. And and one of the concepts that Jim Collins talks about is what he calls a flywheel effect. And, and the opposite of it is, is the doom loop. So what Jim Collins means by those ideas is that, that a company doesn't become great overnight. Like an organization doesn't go from good to great just, just in an instant by one big good decision. It's a culmination of a lot of little decisions that all work together to produce momentum to get the flywheel turning until finally the flywheel is moving in a fast direction in, in, uh, towards greatness, right? Or the opposite effect is the doom loop, where there are a lot of bad decisions culminate together to lead to the collapse of an organization. So th- it's, this, it's the idea that there's not just one light bulb moment. It is a, it is a, progr- a progression of getting the, the, the flywheel turning. So think of it as an organization. It's, it's making a good decision, and then that leads to good results. And then people get excited about the results. And so people begin to produce more, which leads to better results, which leads to more excitement, which leads to better decisions. And more and more and more, the flywheel starts turning faster and faster, and the organization becomes great. Or the opposite effect, the doom loop, right? You make a bad decision, and it leads to bad results. And people get de- uh, depressed or upset or, or uh, begin to become disinterested. And then that leads to worse results, and that leads to panicking, and that leads to worse decisions, and on and on and on until the organization collapses. It's this feedback loop of a lot of different little decisions that all come together uh, to play out in uh, deciding where the organization ends up. You and I are familiar with these feedback loops in our lives, the the culmination of all these little decisions that lead us 
strongly to end up one direction or another. Think of think of trying to lose weight. Right? Most of us at some point in our lives have probably attempted to lose weight. Uh, and, and if you have done that, you know the flywheel effect, right? So you think of it in a positive way. You, are, you have made the decision to lose weight, and so you change your diet, and you, you start working out a little bit more, and, that, and you start liking how you feel a little bit more, and then, you, and then you start getting on the scale, and you start seeing the number goes down, and that gives you a little more excited, and then, and then every, uh, you've, been, you've been keeping at it, and people start making comments like, hey, you look good. Have you been losing weight? And you start getting more excited and more excited until you end up at the goal, or the opposite would be the doom loop, right? You've tried to lose weight, you've been at it, you've been, uh, you've been working out, you've been dieting, and then uh, you get a really busy week and you can't work out that week. And then you get really stressed and you throw your diet out the window. And then, and then you get on the scale and, and you see that you're the same or you're going backwards and you become discouraged and, and more and more and more until finally you end up uh, gaining weight and <laughs> getting back to where you were or, or even uh, gaining more weight than you lost, right? Like we are familiar with these concepts of, of this, uh, this uh, the flywheel, the doom loop. We're familiar with those in our lives, this, this feedback loop of progression. Uh, last week, like I said, we talked, about, uh, we talked about why read the Scripture. And we looked at this, uh, this delight in seeing Jesus in Scripture, and that this delight in seeing Jesus in Scripture is what leads us to, to grow in the image of Jesus. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us, would say, I'm not there. Like, I, I don't delight in the Bible. I, I'm not overjoyed at seeing Jesus in Scripture. And so the question this morning is, how do we approach Scripture? And really, what I'm getting at is, is how do we get there? How do we become people that, just, that are delighted in seeing Jesus in Scripture? How do we become people that, that run to the Word and, and have a love and a passion for the Word of God? How do we get there? This morning in Psalm 119, the psalmist and the reason we're in Psalm 119 is because the psalmist is someone who clearly delights in Scripture. You can see in verse 16 of Psalm 119. The psalmist says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your words. He says again in verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. He says again in verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. And on and on and on it goes in Psalm 119 for page after page. The psalmist is someone who clearly delights in the word of God. And the question for us is, how do we get there? How do we become people that delight in seeing Jesus in Scripture, become people that that love the word of God? And in order to answer that question, I want us to look at what the psalmist does. It's a very practical uh, question this morning. How do we approach the Scripture? How does the psalmist approach the Word of God that results in him being delighted in the Word of God, right? This, and I think what we'll see is that this is it's a culmination of things. It's not any one approach. It's not any one idea. It's a culmination of things that all come together and, and feed into each other so that the psalmist is growing in his delight for the Word of God as he approaches Scripture. And as he approaches Scripture, uh, he approaches Scripture because he's delighted in the Word of God. And it's, a, it's this feedback loop. And the psalmist is growing more and more and more delighted in Jesus. And this morning, I want us to get on that feedback loop. I want us to get the flywheel going and moving forward in our delight for the, for the Word of God and our delight in seeing Jesus in Scripture. And what we're going to see is this. If you view the Bible as truth necessary for life, then you will delight in Scripture. If you see the Bible as something that you absolutely need to get into, it's truth 
that is necessary for life, and, and you approach the Bible that way, and, and the way that you approach Scripture plays that out, then you're going to become somebody who grows more and more delighted in seeing Jesus in Scripture. So again, I want to, thinking practically, how does this play out? How, how does the psalmist approach the Scripture? How does this play out in the Christian life? We're going to see five things that the psalmist does this morning and five ways that this plays out in the Christian life. The number one way that this plays out in the Christian life is by seeking God in his word. The psalmist seeks God in his word. Look with me uh, in verse 2. The psalmist says, Blessed are those who keep God's testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Look with me in verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. So here's a, the psalmist is saying, I am seeking after God. I am longing to read the Bible. I am longing to get into God's word. And I am, I am searching and seeking after God. And notice that, that he's, he isn't just longing to know things about the Bible, right? He's not, just, he's not just longing and seeking after truth so that he can know it, so that he can, uh, he can pass an exam or pass a test. He's not reading the Bible because that's just what good godly people do. Like he is seeking something specific in the text. He is, thinking, he is seeking, he isn't just seeking answers. He isn't just seeking knowledge or truth. He is seeking God, we see in verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So it's because the psalmist is seeking after God that he gets into the text. It's because the psalmist wants to learn more about God, wants to behold the glory and the greatness of God. He wants to find out more about God and have his, have his eyes fixed on God that he then gets into the text. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But we can only know the things about God that he chooses to reveal to us. God is so much bigger than us, so much mightier than us, so much more powerful than us, infinitely greater than us, then we can't just come to knowledge about God. We, we can't figure him out. We can only understand what God chooses to reveal to us. He has to lower himself to our level and communicate himself in a way that we can understand as, as puny, finite human beings. God has to, to condescend and explain himself to us in ways that we can understand, right? And so we can only understand and know things about God that he chooses to reveal to us. And we can see things about God in, in creation. God has chosen to reveal himself in specific ways in creation. So if we look out at the universe, we see that the universe is massive, right? The, the total number of stars is insane. Uh, I, I can't even count that high. And I think if we, if we spent time trying to count the number of stars, uh, we would go our entire life and not even make a dent, right? It, 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 the, the universe is massive, and so God clearly has to be powerful. The God who created it has to be a big God. We also see that the universe has a wonderful design. It is intricately and beautifully created, and so, so God has to have wisdom. He has to be a wise and knowledgeable creator in order to make something that, that works this well, that functions this pristinely. We also see the, the great variety in creation. So God has to be creative. He has to be uh, thoughtful and, and be able to, to uh, think of beauty and life. Like we, we, we can see little glimpses of God. We, we see as, as human beings that across cultures, 
uh, all around the world, every human being has some basic understanding of right and wrong, that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. There are things that are good and there are things that are bad. And so the creator has to be a God with morals, has to be a God who is righteous and, and have a distinction between right and wrong because he created a world where his creatures have a distinction between right and wrong. And so we can see little glimpses, bits and pieces of, of who God is from creation, but that's about as far as we can go. Like that, that we can see just a little bit of who God is, but, but we can't get very much more information about his character and his nature and his activity in the world just by looking out at creation. That, that is about the full extent. If I wanted to play a game with you and I asked you to, 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 to tell me how many fingers I have up behind my back, that would be a pure guess for you. Right? You can make some inferences. You can say it was probably between zero and five because he only has one hand behind his back and and you can maybe guess from the uh, by how uh, flexing my, my forearm muscle is that it's probably not zero, it's probably not five, so it's probably somewhere between those. And you can make reasonable inferences and reasonable guesses, but at the end of the day, you're just guessing how many numbers I have held up behind my hand, uh, behind my back. But if I held up a mirror as well that lets you see how many numbers I have, uh, how many fingers I have behind my back, then then it's not a guess anymore. You know that I'm holding up two fingers behind my back because I'm, I'm holding up a mirror that lets you see it. In the same way, we can't guess and figure out God from creation. We, we can't know the fullness of, of who he is, what he's like, what his nature is, what he's doing in the world. We can't, we, all we can do is make educated guesses. We can't figure it out. But God gave us a mirror. God has revealed to us what he's like. He has told us what his character is. He has told us who we are. He has told us what he's doing in the world. We get a, a mirror to see exactly who God is. And the psalmist is opening up the Bible and he is seeking God in scripture. When the psalmist approaches the word of God, he isn't looking for rules to follow. He isn't looking for uh, boxes to check. He's not doing it because he, he's trying to be a good follower of God. He is doing it because he is getting glimpses of who God is. And in his pursuit of seeing God, he is seeking God in Scripture. As, as Christians, I think too many of us, we've talked about this the last two weeks, but too many of us are approaching the Bible as a rule book or an instruction manual. And we're, we are approaching the Bible with us in mind. So the questions that we ask are, what does this want me to do? What do I need to change? How do I need to, to act and live in response to this? And those are, dec those are good questions to ask as we're studying Scripture. But the question that we approach Scripture with, the approach that we need to have uh, as people who delight in seeing God, is we need to approach Scripture seeking God in His Word. The questions that we need to ask more than anything else are, what does this tell me about God? How, what does this reveal about our Creator? What does this reveal about Jesus and God's plan for redemption in the world, God's acts and activities in creation? And in light of those answers, we get answers into who we are and what we're supposed to do. The response, the way we approach Scripture is not, what are the rules? What do I need to do? The way we approach Scripture is saying, who is God? What is he like? What is he doing in the world? And Scripture gives us those answers. We can start to get a clearer picture of who God is. We lift our eyes up to behold the glory of God as we study Scripture. The psalmist is seeking God and his word. And, and at this point, what's incredible is all that God had revealed about himself at this point. The psalmist, all he has is the Old Testament law. That's why he keeps saying, I delight in your law. 
I delight in your rules. I love your commandments. All he has is the Old Testament law. So what he knows, what God has revealed at this point to the psalmist is that God is a personal God who wants to have a relationship with people. But he's also a holy God and cannot stand imperfection or unholiness. And so he has made a deal with the Israelites. He said, if you will be perfect, if you will be holy, then I will be your God and I will richly bless you. And in light of those revelations of who God is, the psalmist is praising God. Just looking at the rules, just looking at those commandments, just looking at that covenant, the psalmist is seeing glimpses of who God is, and, and, and he is seeking God in those rules. But we as Christians have a more complete picture. We understand more about God because God has revealed more about himself. We have both the Old and the New Testament. We see the end of the story, right? God has, has revealed more and more and more to us as Christians in the Old and the New Testament. And so we see that he isn't just a God who is holy and can't stand on holiness, but he's also a God who is rich in love and grace and mercy and loved us enough to send his son to die on a cross for us and to rise again from a grave so that we could have eternal life. So that he could make us holy because we couldn't do it on our own. And, and that God wants to richly bless and pour out his grace and his riches upon us for all of eternity through Jesus. So we get a more complete picture. We can see more of God in scripture and we get to see... Uh, as we study scripture, we get to get these glimpses, these bits and pieces of who God is, what he's doing in the world. We get to see glimpses and bits and pieces of, of Jesus and have our eyes lifted up to him. So the number one way that, that the psalmist approached scripture is the way that we approach scripture, and that's seeking God in his word. As we do that, we will grow in our delight for him and our delight in his word. It is not a delight to read a rule book. It is not a delight to read an instruction manual to a car, right? Like, that's not, I don't go out of my way to do that. John does. But, <laughs> but for most of us, it's not a delight. But it can be and should be a delight to learn about our creator, to see who he is, and to see what he's doing in the world. Seek God and his word. The number, the number two way that this, that this plays out in the Christian life is by praising God for what he has revealed. And this one really flows out of the first thing. As as God has revealed himself in scripture and the, the psalmist is studying who God is and he's fixing his eyes on God, he begins to praise God for what he has revealed. Notice with me uh, what he says in verse, uh, uh, where did it go? Verse uh, 23. Nope, not verse 23. This is a, another problem with preaching with no notes. Is you lose your spot. Uh, verse one, uh, 164, sorry. Verse 164, the psalmist says this, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Psalm one, uh, Verse 171, my lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. All right, so the psalmist is praising God as he sees who God has revealed himself to be, as he, as he sees more and more about God that is resulting in praise and honor and glory being redirected back to God. And when we sing on Sunday mornings, we, are, we have the opportunity to return praise and honor and glory to God for the, for the truths that he has revealed. We are singing back things that we know to be true because they're, we're, they're from Scripture. That's why the songs that we sing should be rooted and grounded in the Word of God because as we hear the things that we know are true, we are returning praise and honor and glory to God. They are resulting in an eruption of praise 
for who God is. That's what's happening for the psalmist, and that's our approach to Scripture. It isn't just that we want to know things, but that we are growing in praise for God based on who, who he has revealed himself to be. If our approach to Scripture doesn't result in more praise to God, then we are not approaching Scripture correctly. If our approach to Scripture results in feeling defeated, results in feeling broken down, results in us walking from God, then we are not asking the right questions of Scripture. We're not approaching Scripture with the right questions and the right mindset. Because our approach to Scripture should lead us to see God, and which would result in praise and glory for what God has revealed himself to be. So our approach to Scripture results in praising God for what he has revealed. There are a lot of different ways to read the Bible and to study the Bible on your, uh, on your own. Uh, uh, prayerfully, each of you should have a, uh, a daily time in the Word. Right? Not as a rule that says God's keeping track, right? But, but you should want to study Scripture. You should want to know what it means. And you can, you can do that in a variety of ways. There are a ton of different ways to study the Bible. One of my favorite ways, and the way that I recommend, is to, to go through books of the Bible. To start at the beginning of a book and read all the way through that book. And when you're done with that book, pick another book, start at the beginning of the book, and read all the way through that book. Uh, and do that over and over again. Uh, and the reason that I recommend doing it all the way through a book is that you can follow the story of the book. Or you can follow the arguments. If it's a letter from Paul, you can, you can follow it. the passages in context. You're not taking anything out of the context of the rest of the book. And the, the other thing that I recommend, and one of my favorite ways to read Scripture, is by reading large chunks of Scripture at a time. Three, four, five chapters in, in one sitting. Uh, if you pick a smaller book, like, uh, like one of Paul's letters or a, a minor prophet, just reading through that entire letter in one sitting, or that entire uh, prof, uh, prophetic utterance in one sitting. And the reason that I recommend doing large chunks of Scripture at a time is you're, you may miss little things here and there. Right? You, might not, you might not get the, the complete understanding of all the little nuances in the text, but what you will begin to do is see the greater picture of that passage. You'll begin to see a, a, a greater outline of what's in Scripture. The problem is that a lot of Christians don't know what's in the Bible because most Christians have not read the Bible all the way through. And so God has revealed himself in Scripture. We can see God in his word, and most of us don't know what's in here. And so most of us don't know a lot about God. Most of us don't know a lot about what God is doing in the world. And by definition, when we do that, we don't know a lot about ourselves and what God has required of us because we don't know what's in the word of God. And so we, when we read large chunks at a time, we begin to see what's in here. And when we can see the bigger picture, when we can see the story of God's redemption, we get glimpses into who God is, that will result in praise and honor and glory to God. When we come to sing, we will sing with greater passion because we know the truths that we are lifting up to the Lord. We have experienced them. We have seen them in Scripture. We know them to be true. When we sit down in our small groups and we discuss passages, we discuss them with greater excitement and passion because we know the truth. We have seen it. We know we have seen God in these Scriptures and we can talk about them with greater confidence. So we, the second way that this uh, that the psalmist approaches Scripture and the way that we approach it is by praising God for what he has revealed. But number three, third way that this plays out in the Christian life is by dwelling on Scripture. Uh, look with me in verse 11. The psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 15. 
says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. Verse 23. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servants will meditate on your statutes. Verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. And this is a, a theme throughout the rest of the chapter in Psalm 119. So the psalmist is dwelling on the word of God. Specifically, we see that he is memorizing and meditating on the word of God. He is hiding God's word away in his heart, like you see in verse 11. And he is meditating on scripture. Now, that, that, that idea of meditating it's not like the Buddhist idea of meditating, of sitting down and crossing your legs and saying home and, and trying to uh, clear your mind. It's actually the exact opposite of that uh, because it's not clearing your mind. The idea of meditating there is that you are filling your mind with Scripture and turning the words over and over and over again in your head, reflecting on what is there in those passages, thinking about what it reveals about God and what it calls you to do and, and just dwelling on that over the course of a day. As Christians, we don't just, just seek, we don't just read scripture to just check the box and say, all right, I've done it, I've done my duty, I've checked my box, I'll come back again tomorrow. Like the idea is that we are dwelling on scripture, that we are allowing it to, to infiltrate our minds and our hearts. We are letting it impact us in deep ways as we toss the words over again in our minds. We think about the concepts over the course of the day. That's why it's great to read large chunks of passages at a time because you can see these great ideas. But another good way to read the Bible is by also going uh, and really studying a small passage of Scripture. So another great way to read the Bible is reading Psalm chapter 1. It's a short chapter. And then going throughout your day thinking about Psalm chapter 1. Letting the words dwell in your mind, thinking about what they reveal about God. Letting those words impact your day. And then the next day, reading Psalm chapter 2. And dwelling on Psalm chapter 2 over the course of the day and letting those words impact your mind. And then over and over again, as you study Scripture, you're reading little bits of Scripture and studying what they mean and allowing the words to, to sink into your mind. You're dwelling on the Word of God. As Christians, we don't just seek to know. We seek to dwell on and in be impacted by these words. The fourth approach to Scripture from the psalmist, so our fourth approach, is speaking Scripture. The psalmist doesn't just hold on to Scripture. The, the psalmist proclaims it. Verse 13. It says, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Verse 46. It says, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in, the, in your commandments, which I love. So we see here that the, the psalmist isn't just thinking about the passages. He's not just reading them so that he can know them, but he is regurgitating what he's learning, right? Like he is throwing back out into the world the things that he is, is studying and learning and hearing about God. He is speaking scripture to other people and bringing other people's minds up to the Lord, bringing other people's eyes up to God just as his eyes are transfixed on the Lord as he has sought the Lord in scripture. He is bringing other people's minds up to God through speaking scripture. Uh, about a year ago, uh, I, I made an effort to try to memorize the first part of the book of Titus. And uh, it, it wasn't really a book that I had studied a whole lot. Um, it's a book I've read several times, but not done any kind of deep studying in the book of Titus. And so I made, a, I made an effort to, to memorize the first part of the book of Titus. And what I realized 
is that when I, when I committed to memory the first part of the book of Titus, when I was dwelling on those passages frequently, as I was thinking about them more and more and committing those passages to memory, they began coming up in conversations a lot. Like the, uh, the text that I had just memorized seemed to fit the conversation multiple times in a week. Like I had never, I, I would never bring up Titus chapter 1 in most conversations, but as I was memor- memorizing Titus chapter 1, there were passages of Titus 1 that seemed to fit most of the conversations that I was having. And so as I was thinking about and dwelling on Scripture, I began speaking Scripture more clearly and more often. As Christians, as we approach Scripture, we don't just approach it for our own edification. We approach it to speak it to other people. Like as, as a church, it isn't just that I'm speaking Scripture to you. It is your goal as you study Scripture to begin speaking Scripture to each other, to begin lifting each other's eyes up to God so that we are always encouraging and lifting one another up in the Word, so that we are speaking God's Word to one another, engaging in small groups, discussing what the Bible says, engaging with one another, giving advice that is rooted and grounded in Scripture. We as Christians shouldn't just be knowing Scripture, but speaking Scripture to one another. It should have an impact in the way that we talk and the things that we say. And as we go out into the world, we have Scripture on our mind, and so we can begin pointing others to Jesus because we know what the Bible says, and we begin speaking Scripture in our conversations out in the world. Maybe they know it or not. You know, you don't just have, if you're going to speak Scripture, you don't just have to say, well, the Bible says, and then, and then say what the Scripture is, right? Well, it says in this passage, and, and some people don't love that, or that's not a, a great conversation tool. But you can speak the truth that you know from Scripture in conversa- conversations. You can introduce ideas that you have learned about God and Jesus and God's work in the world from Scripture and begin to lift other people's eyes up to the Lord. It's not just l- hearing Scripture, but speaking Scripture. And as we, as we are speaking Scripture and building each other up in the Word of God, as we allow those words to sink into our mind and come out of our mouths, we begin to grow in our delight in seeing Jesus in Scripture. Lastly, This plays out in the Christian life by continuing to apply Scripture in the face of adversity. Our our goal, our value of applying the Scriptures does not go away if the world decides that they don't like what the Bible says. It will be easy for us to to give up and and turn away from what the Bible says if the world is not okay with what the Bible says. But look with me in in verse 81. I just want to read the cop section of Psalm 119. Verse 81, the psalmist says, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will, your, when will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forgotten your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Throughout Psalm 119, the psalmist is persecuted. The psalmist is uh, oppressed. The psalmist is put down by the world. We see this played out throughout the chapter. This is a common theme. And, and the psalmist never says, I'm being oppressed, and so I'm going to abandon your word. I'm being put down, and so I'm going to move on to, to, to try to make myself feel better or try to 
try to placate the world. Like, he doesn't try to do any of that. He says, I am oppressed, but I am standing firm in your word. God, give me strength and life to stand firm in your word. As individual Christians and as a church, it will be easy to give up the parts of Scripture that the world doesn't like. But when God reveals himself to, to the world, when a holy God reveals himself to a sinful world, there are going to be parts of God and things that God says that the world doesn't like. You know, when God, as, in all of his holiness and all of his glory, reveal, reveals himself to a world that has rebelled against him, there are going to be things that he says about himself and his ways in the world that the world doesn't find enjoyable. Like there, there are going to be things in the Bible that the world doesn't like. And it's going to be easy for us to abandon them. Because if the world starts speaking negatively of us or even persecuting us for what the Bible says, and if we're holding on to what the Bible says, it will be easy to let it go. I want to give you uh, an example. Uh, The world doesn't like what the Bible says about homosexuality. Uh, Multiple times in Scripture, the Bible makes it clear that God views homosexuality as a sin. Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you see it other other places as well. The, the Bible is very clear in God's revelation. Homosexuality is a sin. And he's cl- also clear on why. Ephesians chapter 5, the reason that homosexuality is a sin is because God has designed marriage to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. A- and so when a relationship between a man and a woman, it gives the image of Christ's relationship with his church. And so a relationship that is homosexual between a man and a man or a woman and a woman gives an incorrect image of a relationship between Christ and his church. It is not part of God's design for marriage. And so God has been very clear in his word and in his revelation that homosexuality is a sin. But the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't like that approach to scripture. The world doesn't like that God has revealed homosexuality as a sin. And so it is in a lot of churches, in order to placate the world and and to, to not feel like the world is saying negative things about them, and in order to, to not be persecuted or anything like that, the, the, a lot of churches have just abandoned that part of Scripture and said, yeah, okay, well, maybe that's not what it says, or yeah, that do, it doesn't relevant for us anymore, and they begin to move on from those passages of Scripture. We as Christians have to stand firm in what the Word of God says, regardless of what the world says. God has revealed himself in his Word. It is not up for us to decide what we like about God or not. It's not up for us to determine if we appreciate what God says or if we don't appreciate what God says. The way that we judge who God is is not by the world's standards, but by what God has revealed himself to be. And we have to stand firm in God's word. Now, it doesn't mean that we become militant and angry. God is clearly a God of love and compassion, and grace, and mercy, the way that we approach Scripture should result in greater praise and honor and glory to God. And so the way that we proclaim Scripture and reach the lost and engage the world should result in more praise and glory and honor to God and not more people who are mad at the church because we're jerks, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, we need to lift up the name of the Lord in the world. But we also need to stand firm in what God said in Scripture. We cannot abandon it. So like the psalmist says, he is continuing to apply the scripture in the face of adversity. If we continue to dwell on scripture, if we approach scripture seeking God in his word, if we, if we return praise and honor and glory to God, and, and as we're thinking about scripture, scripture, if we speak 
Scripture to one another, and we stand firm in it regardless of what the world says. Each of those little things combine together to produce within us a greater delight in, 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 in seeing Jesus in Scripture. We grow to learn to love seeing God in Scripture more and more. And as we grow to delight in seeing Jesus in Scripture more, we're driven back to the Word of God, and we do those things more. And as we do those things more, we are grow in our delight for seeing Jesus in Scripture. And on and on and on it goes as we all become a church of people who delight in seeing Jesus in Scripture, who love proclaiming Scripture to one another, who love proclaiming Scripture to the world, who know and love the Word of God. That is the image, the vision that God has for this church, to be a church who delights in Scripture, to be a place where the Word of God is prevalent and the Word of God uh, is, is where, where His people are passionate for His Word, where His people stand firm in it. You're never going to reach a point where you, are, where you delight enough in God. <laughs> Right? You're not going to reach the point where, where you study enough scripture and you see enough pieces of God and enough information about him that, that you say, all right, I get the idea. He's pretty good. Let's move on. Right? And you're, gonna get to, you're not going to get to that point. As you grow to delight in God, you're going to continue to grow to delight in God more and more and more and more. And he is worthy of every ounce of delight that we can give and more. Everything that you learn about God in scripture, as you seek him in his word, you're going to grow to delight in him to an even greater extent than you ever have before, and it's never going to be enough. And so we can continue to grow in our delight in Jesus in Scripture over and over more and more and more for the rest of our lives and into eternity. Until we see him face to face, and we don't need the Bible anymore. We have the full picture in front of us, and we can praise and honor and glorify him for all of eternity. Some of you this morning do not delight in Scripture, and it's not because you don't do these things. It's not because you don't spend time in the Word uh, it's not because you don't dwell on Scripture and seek Scripture, but it's because none of those things are ultimately going to produce delight in God if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. The way that the, the flywheel gets moving is not that you start doing these things, not that you sit down and you open the Bible and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these things. But the way that the flywheel gets moving, the way that we start progressing in delight for God is that God kickstarts the flywheel, that God gets it going by instilling within us, burning within us a passion and a delight for Jesus. And we see that play out as we, have, as we place our faith in Jesus, have a relationship with him. So for some of you this morning, the, what you need to do is not to get into the Bible and, and start reading it so that you can delight in Jesus more. What you need this morning more than anything else is to see what the Bible is saying to you. And that's that God wants a relationship with you through his son, Jesus. That God wants to pour out and lavish upon you the riches of his grace and mercy through his son, Jesus. And, and, and that as, as you place your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, he will instill within you this delight for seeing him. And then that will drive you to the word. So this morning, if that's you, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. There's nothing you're going to be able to do in your, in your Bible reading plan that is going to give you this great delight in Jesus until you place your faith in him and your hope in him, your life in him. So if that's you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus this morning, I want to I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, as we, we're about to sing, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And while we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. If you want to place your faith in Jesus, I would love for you to come to the front. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you after the service about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, if, if you don't want to come to the front, that's fine. Just grab me after the service. But don't leave here without coming to faith in Jesus and growing in your delight in him. Let me pray for us.
Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your word. God, it is by your word that we get to see glimpses into who you are. We get to see your plan of redemption for the world. And so it's by your scripture that we get to see Jesus and the the love and the grace and the mercy and the power that he gives. God, I, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would become people who are enamored with your word. And we would become people who delight in seeing Jesus in Scripture, who, who stand firm in your word, who are passionate about it. People who can rightly say with the psalmist that we delight in your commands. We delight in Scripture. God, I pray that you would draw our affections and our attention toward you, and we would do that as we, as we read the Bible, as we seek you in the text, as we dwell on your word, as we praise you for what you have revealed, as we speak scripture, God, and as we stand firm in it, I pray, God, that you would grow our affections for you as individuals and as a church. And I pray if there's anyone in here who does not know you, God, I pray that this morning will be the morning that their affections are spurred and they turn to you with, with all the love and the grace that you provide and say, God, I want a relationship with you. Lord, we love you and praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Again, if that's you and you want to place your faith in Jesus, I would love to pray with you or talk with you after the service. Let's stand and let's praise God together.